you have a Bible nearby, uh, let's start off in Philippians chapter 4. Last week we started to look at um, corporate worship, and just going to spend a few weeks kind of getting into uh, what it is that we do when we gather and why we do the things that we do. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a pretty uh, predictable, I don't know, uh, order of service. Like we kind of do the same things every week, and uh, every now and then it's a little different. So tonight we start right, right away with music, you know. Sometimes we, we pray beforehand, sometimes we uh, do some announcements here and there. We flip some things around, but in general it's, it's pretty much the same. And the reason why that happens is not because uh, we lack creativity here at the ring or whatever. Uh, a long time ago, when the ring first started uh, in the previous century, um, we found that uh, just from working with college students a lot, that uh, you had some who they liked, they liked never knowing what was going to happen when you showed up somewhere. You know? uh, but in general, people like having consistency. Because if you're going to bring somebody with you, like you don't want to bring them on like weird night, right? Like you want to kind of know kind of what you're bringing them to. And so we try to give you a heads up if ever we do something that's kind of out of the ordinary uh, like that. But, but there's some consistency in what we do and how we structure things. And we do, you know, it's, there's purpose in it. And, uh, but like I said last week, anytime you do something the same way, week after week after week, there comes this danger of the meaning kind of just slowly kind of leaking out of it, you know. Um, and so we're just going to take a couple of weeks to kind of just refocus and make sure that we're all on the same page about why we do what we do. So with uh, the idea of worship, the word worship uh, is it's a, a shortened version of what used to be used, which was worship. And so anytime, we, anytime you hear the word worship, um, there should be this connotation of worth and value that comes up. And so worship is really, it's the, just the response to, to how, how much someone or something is valued. So corporately, when we come together, we corporately together respond to the worth and value of God. Um, and so last week, I'd, I'd, you'll never hear me say, you need to go listen to the podcast from last week. But I think it would be good, just as far as, uh, I feel like we covered some ground that would be good to catch up on if you weren't here. I'm not going to try to recap it, because I'll get crazy long-winded, even more long-winded than normal, and we'll be here for way too long. So uh, just go listen to it, if, if you can. Um, but the, the idea of worth, it, it kind of it varies based on a couple of things. So you take, um, you take LSU football, and to some people, it has great, great worth, to the point where they spend a lot of money, and a lot of time, and a lot of emotion, and a lot of sometimes brain cells in like celebrating LSU football because it is it is worth a lot to them. Uh, then you may talk to someone else, and they they it's just it's valued very 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 little to them, and they just really kind of want everybody to just talk about something else or just get over the fact that the honey badger is gone. You know, like just, they don't understand why this person's crying. And over, you know, whatever. And so um, you get two different people, and they, they value LSU football differently, so their response to that, to that value is different. Um, so that's kind of an example about how, like, you know, just worth and value can kind of adjust in different things. And so um, 
when it comes to God, the worth and value of God is, is something, it's something beautiful to talk about and to think about. And the thing about corporate worship that is unique is kind of when you think about it in these terms, you may go to work and uh, like let's take like a work environment or, or like your neighborhood or if you go to school or, you know, just, just pick some sort of, of group outside of like an like a organized church group. And there's probably a, a lot of different, like varying value when it comes to God. Some people, he's just worth everything to them. And then some people, he, they just, he's just not, you know. Uh, so within your work environment, there may, may be just all kinds of different values placed on God. Um, in your neighborhood, it's kind of the same way, maybe. And maybe within your families, maybe if you live in a dorm, you know, it's all this kind of stuff. But the... When the, when the saints come together, when the, when the Christians gather together, um, what you're doing is you're getting people all in one room and pressing them together, people who all have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. People who know the literal value of God is, is infinite. That He is the holy, sovereign God of the universe. Omniscient. All good, all powerful, holy, other, creator. We know that. We know that, he is, that relationally He is infinitely, infinitely worthy. What we've sung about tonight, because of the love of Jesus, we are alive. So you get people together who have all tasted and seen that the Lord is good and who know His infinite worth. And the gathering of the saints becomes a dangerous, a dangerous place. And I was thinking about it last night, and this might not be a good analogy, and please don't do this. Uh, I don't want to go on record. But it's, it's, we're, we're like a sparkler bomb. When I was in college, I was introduced to the sparkler bomb. I was like, hey, what are you doing? putting a bunch of sparklers together to make a bomb. Okay. See, a sparkler, you know, you light it and it's, you wave it around and it's 4th of July or New Year's Eve or whatever, and they're awesome. There's energy there, there's light there or whatever, and we're like a bunch of sparklers, right? Take 150, 200 of those sparklers, pack them together, and you can blow up a tree stump. <laughs> so I've heard. Uh, that's, that's what happens when we gather together. There's significant worth and value for us as we're scattered out during the weeks, but when we come together, there's an, an energy and a force that's here because here we have the people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We know His infinite worth. But, let's be honest, it's not all the time that 100% of us enter into this place, and it's the same for community groups and different things, it's, it's the same for other things, but I want to talk about Sunday nights together, a lot of, very few of us enter into here, I think, really like there, you know, in our minds. Our hearts are there because our hearts are new, but our minds are not there, and when your mind's not there, it doesn't feel like your heart's there, and 
And so that's why a lot of times by the, by the end of a worship service, there's this like synergy that's happening, you know. But it's rare to happen from the beginning. And my goal is not to get it to happen from the beginning necessarily. It would be awesome, but it's really, it's really just more important, I think, that we understand what happens when we come together in regard to, to that kind of understanding and, and our, our minds being there to, in, in the place of responding appropriately to the infinite worth and value of God. And there's a great hymn. It's called uh, Come Thou Fount. In the opening line, Come Thou Fount, very blessing. It says, Tune our hearts to sing Thy grace. And I think that, that for tonight, is the, it's not the sparkler bomb. It's, it's the tuning of the heart. I think that God wants us to kind of just sit on for a few minutes and, and think about and realize exactly what's going on. So, so you've, you've probably been at some point in your life to some sort of, of concert that, that's not like a rock concert, like, a, like a, an orchestra or something like that. And um, I've talked about this before, but you know, what always happens, they're there and they're warming up and everybody comes and finds their seats and they flicker the lights. And then you have someone that gives, that gives the tuning note. And uh, I borrowed this from my dad. Uh, before they had like fancy like tuners and stuff, they would, they would use this like a tuning fork. And it resonates at a, at a pitch. And um, use the, the tuning fork to tune the principal instrument. And the principal player would, would play that note in perfect tune. And then everybody else plays that note. And the point of that is to see individually if you are right on it or if you're a little off or if you're a lot off. And then you make the adjustments so that everybody, everybody's right, just right centered on the pitch that's being played. And then every, once everybody's in tune, everything starts. And hopefully it sounds awesome. And I think when we, when we come together as the church, I think that there is like a tuning note that is played. And our hearts and our minds get tuned to what is true. And look at Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think that that verse right there happens in corporate worship. And it is, and maybe this is cheesy or whatever, but it really is like the Holy Spirit comes into the room and He takes the tuning fork of truth and, he, and what you do is you like, you like hit it. I don't know if you can really... <laughs> Microphone. Uh, so you strike, you strike that and you let that pitch resonate and you tune to that pitch. And it's like the Holy Spirit comes in and, and He strikes the note of truth for us. And what we do is we respond and we make adjustments. If we're right on it, glory to God. And if we're a little off, He brings us back. And if we're way off, He brings us back. So that regardless of how we came in, we're able to accurately respond to the infinite worth of our God. And that's what happens, is the tuning of the heart.
Let's go to Psalm 121. I want to look at some specifics as to how this happens. There's certain authors and pastors that uh, we are all, I think, greatly indebted to these days. One of them is uh, Eugene Peterson. And he's written, uh, if you ever find something by him, you should read it. And uh, he's most known for his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Um, but that's, I mean, that's, it's a great and admirable work, but he's written other things that have been used just as powerfully uh, in the church. He wrote a book that goes through the, um, the Psalms of Ascent. So you'll see at the beginning, uh, probably in your Bible, where it says a song of ascents. And what he, he's done, he just does a chapter on each one of these. And uh, I am very grateful that God has used him in, in my life. And this book has had a lot of influence on me. Um, and so several of the thoughts I'll bring tonight um, originate with him. Uh, but they really originate with God, so I don't feel bad stealing them. Uh, so a lot of influence in what I'm about to say uh, based on this psalm. But when it says a psalm of a sense... Basically, these are psalms that came to be used on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so, uh, you know, nowadays, like, you may go on a road trip somewhere or whatever, and you plan accordingly. So some of you might make, you know, a a playlist on uh, your mnemonic device that, uh, you know, for the road or whatever, uh, or a mixtape, maybe, Um, some of you as parents may plan certain things for your kids to do in the car or whatever. Uh, certainly, um, long journeys and needing something to do, that's not new to us. Um, and so as uh, the faithful Jewish community would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, um, it was a, a journey by foot, and it was long, and it was difficult, and it was scary at times. And so these were psalms that they would uh, sing or talk through or discuss, and it just became a part of, that's just how these psalms were, were used, and God would use these things to prepare uh, these faithful ones for the worship that was going to happen in Jerusalem when they got there. And so you got parents t- like teaching and going through these things with their kids, and so kids grew up hearing these things about, about going to Jerusalem and who God is and what they're going there to do. And so it's a very special group of psalms in the Old Testament. Um, so let's, let's look at this. We're going to go to, uh, or we'll go slowly. How about that? Verse 1 says, I lift, lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. All right, let's stop right there. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Um, could have meant a couple of things, but most, most commentators kind of agree that it, it either meant, you know, here they are, they're, they're going up to Jerusalem, and Israel is, there's no flat ground in Israel anywhere, it's hills and mountains everywhere, and so uh, surrounding them, there are just all, there are these hills, and so the worship of nature was very common, especially in the, the nations that surrounded Israel, and so uh, a lot of that had its way of kind of working its way in. And so some, they really would. They would look at the sun or the moon. They would look at the, the rain. They would look at uh, the wind. They would look at crops. They would look at all kinds of things in nature, and they would treat them as gods and just worship, worship them as deities sometimes. And, 
And so that kind of bled its way into Israel sometimes. So some people think that maybe he's literally talking about the hills. Saying, does my help come from creation? Um, others may you know, think that it has to do with the fact that, that idol worship happened on the tops of, of hills. And so that maybe, and apparently at this time, whenever you were traveling around Israel, you would see there were like pagan groups who would build these idols and you could see them just kind of scattered uh, throughout the countryside. And so maybe when they say, look at the hills, they're talking about the idols sitting on top of the hills. Uh, really, either way, it doesn't matter. Um, so does my help come from the hills, of, meaning nature? Does my help come from the hills, meaning idol worship? Uh, no. That's what I'm saying. Lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the one who made the hills. And so for us, there's an obvious parallel, right? I mean, our, our world that we live in is so focused on like trying to find help and security and joy and guidance and you know, whatever, you name it, we're trying to find it all the time in the created. And we're bombarded with advertisements that say, this is going to make you happy, you know. By this, your life will, will change. Lose five pounds and you'll, you'll never be the same. And like all this kind of you know, good stuff will happen. Or um, like look at this person, you know, try to be like this person and that's like a, a good goal to set or avoid these things and this and this and this, buy this, sell this, live in this sort of American dream situation. There's all these things we have coming at us that are constantly saying, this is where your help comes from. This is where your security comes from. This will make you truly joyful. And when the saints come together, the Holy Spirit comes in and strikes that tuning note of truth that just says, no. No. You're being lied to constantly. Your help does not come from those things. Your help comes from the one who made those things. So he strikes that tuning note. And we listen. And we adjust. And so you come together. You, you press all of us together. The tuning note is a hit. And we're, we should all be making these adjustments of being like, whoa, I cannot believe... Can I believe that I've been looking to this person for my worth and value? Can I believe I thought that this purchase was going to bring me true joy? I can't believe that I've been looking at my job and getting that much of my self-worth there. I, got, I need to adjust and realize that my help comes from the Lord who made all this stuff. It's all His don't get me wrong, relationships and jobs and money and possessions and all those things, I'm not saying that they're all evil. They can play an evil role when we start to look at them and expect things of them that, that God is the one who is like, supposed to meet those needs. So we come in and when the tuning note of truth is, is there and we're making adjustments, those things, they just go to their proper place. It's not that we take all that stuff and we like demonize everything, because that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but they, everything just gets in its right place. And that's why sometimes when you, you feel so peaceful when you walk out of this building compared to the way you walked in this building. 
It's because everything is in its right place. Because you heard the tuning note, and you made some adjustments. And now you're ready to be sent. So that's a part of what corporate worship does. It's, it's this declaration, it's this refusal for us to look to anything else but the Lord. All right, let's look at the next verse or two. Verse 3 says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. All right? The idea of, of slumber and, and God sleeping is very important to these folks, right? They're on a journey. So you travel by day, travel by night, however you want to break that thing up. They're on this pilgrimage. But at some point, like everybody's got to sleep. One of the problems is that there would be like thieves who would be like waiting around a corner sometimes, and they would jump out and they would take all your stuff. That's how it went. Sometimes while you're sleeping, they creep into the camp and you know whatever. And so this idea of like we need to rest, but what if what if something bad happens? You know, we'll get to the bad stuff happening in a second. But to them, they needed to rest. So here's this psalm that reminds them that while we, while we need rest and we are sleeping, our God never, ever, ever sleeps. He doesn't need it. And so every moment, we are completely under His loving care. All of it. And so we come into corporate worship the Holy Spirit rings the tuning note. We start to listen for this, this theme. Do I think God is going to sleep on me? Like, like honestly. Because sometimes we do. Sometimes we feel like, man, after the couple of days I've had, I really feel like God literally is like taking a nap. After watching the news, how could God, like, I don't understand, he must, he must be asleep. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's um, you feel like, well, I think I must have made him mad. Because he's just so absent, you know, he just, there's such silence, there's so whatever. And I know I haven't been, I haven't been obedient, I, I've been very self-centered and the sin pattern, you know, whatever it is want, it wants to be. And so you get in your mind, like, I, I really think he, God's mad at me. And you start to think these things because you don't sense the activity of God and the nearness of God. And the Spirit rings that tuning note of truth. It said, no, God, God's not going to sleep on you. He's not taking a nap. He's not ignoring you. He's not mad at you. Corporate worship reminds us that our God never sleeps. That He's always there. That whatever it is that you're facing and you're going through and the questions that you have and the doubts that are there and the, all that stuff, it's all real and it's, it's, it's okay. But He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. You haven't made him mad. He's not pouting. 
He's not sitting on some chair that swivels around like James Bryan Smith talks about. It's where he's looking at you all, as long as you're acting right and as soon as you act wrong, he like turns around and faces the other way. That's, that's not true. And so the Spirit comes in and lets us know who He is. And He's more near than we realize. And He cares for us and that He loves us. Because He never sleeps. And he never slumbers. And there are times when you come into this room and that's exactly what you need. And it has... It's really, it's, it has nothing to do with the fact that some, somebody said it in the sermon or it said it in one of the songs. Sometimes it's just the worship of the saints and the deep parts of you connect with the deep parts of God and you just know it. It's part of the beauty of corporate worship when our hearts are tuned and those adjustments happen. Look at the, look at the next part. It's similar. So verse 3 said he would not let your foot be moved. Verse 5 says the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Okay, what does that mean? Well, the, like I said, the journeys were dangerous. Some of it was a terrain issue. Um, so not letting your foot be moved. That's what it's addressing. Some of it was the fact that Israel is just stinking hot. So sometimes traveling during the day was, it was just miserable. And you get dehydrated and it would take its toll. And then a lot of times when you're resting at night, like people would just lose it. And they called it moonstroke. And it was your exhaustion from the day would have you just, just completely, completely like just not all there at night. And so the physical toll that was being taken on the journey, and so this psalmist is writing saying, look, on this journey that you're on, the Lord's not going to let you be truly harmed. So we come into the room, and we're facing all kinds of garbage outside of this room. And we're living in the world, and the world is a broken world. And Jesus came to fix that, but there's still all the effects of that brokenness. And so we deal with... Um, people lying to us, and we deal with betrayal, and we deal with uh, expectations not being met, and we, we deal with our own flesh and, and the things that appeal to that, and there's this battle going on, and it's brutal. And, and, and we're, we're hurt, you know? We get hurt physically. Um, we get sick. We have painful things that happen to us physically. We get hurt emotionally by people. We get hurt spiritually through... Uh, through our own sin most of the time, and there's spiritual warfare that's going on. So you come into this room, Holy Spirit comes in, hits the tuning note of truth, which basically says all that stuff, all that hurt, physically, emotionally, spiritually, none of that stuff can bring true harm to you. And yeah, the physical hurt... It may lead to your death. Death can't harm you. And people may hurt you and they may say whatever about you and they may stab you in the back and 
and refuse to forgive you, and there are just all these kind of things interpersonally. But that stuff can't touch what Jesus has done in you. It can't bring you true harm of the soul. And the spiritual effect of sin has been taken care of by Jesus on the cross. And so the Spirit reminds us that, yeah, sometimes our circumstances, they're rough. But your circumstances don't reign over the universe. Jesus does. And your feelings, well, their feelings are great. And feelings have been redeemed by Jesus, but they're, they're not very reliable when, it tell, when they come to telling us the truth about who God is. So that's why we need to come in and focus on what is true. And the Spirit gives us that tuning note, and we make those adjustments. And what it does is it doesn't make all your circumstances go away. It doesn't make all your feelings all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I totally feel differently about this necessarily. What it does is when the, that tuning note is struck and we begin to make those adjustments, it reframes our circumstances. It reframes our feelings and how much we trust them. Because real harm can't come to us. And sometimes that's what we need. Like we need that from corporate worship. We need the Spirit to remind us of who's in control of things. We need the Spirit to remind us of His vastness and His nearness. And how both of those things are fully true at the same time, all the time. We need to be reminded that He is outside of time. That we don't know what the next moment holds, but He does because He sees it all at once. And because He's all good, and because He's the Holy One, everything He does is always good. There's no impure motive in there anywhere. So when He's leading us forward, it's because He sees what's next, and He knows what's best, and nothing can, can harm us because all that is secure. And we just, we just got to trust Him because we love Him. He rings that tuning note of truth. And we got to adjust to it. It's another beautiful thing that happens when the people of God come together. Peterson says in his book, he says, a lot of us make the mistake of trying to trying to feel ourselves into a new way of acting. In other words, you come into the place, right? You're, having a, you're just having a bad week, a bad day, a bad month, a bad decade, whatever. You come in here, and Cody gets up here, and what does he want to sing? First song off the gun, learning how to live with open hands. What a jerk. <laughs> Doesn't he know what, what you've been going through? How dare the Holy Spirit lead him to put that song first in the set list? And we tell ourselves, well, I don't really feel that way, so I'm just not going to sing it. Until I feel it, until I feel I can honestly sing it, and there's that sincerity in my heart, I'm not going to do it, because I don't want to be a liar. Okay. All right, that's fine. That's what Peterson means by feeling ourselves into a new way of acting. We say, until I feel it and I'm sincere and genuine, 
I'm not going to put the action to it. And I get that. And that's a, like one of the weird like, qualities of, of the last couple of decades of people being born is that we have this, this draw to like, sincerity and like, purity and things being genuine. And I think that can be good, but it can be very crippling at the same time because you can come into something like this and say, I'm not going to sing about God's love for me because I don't feel like He loves me very much. And what Peterson says is, more times than not, it's, you have more, uh, you, you get where you want to be, not by feeling yourself, not, not by like feeling yourself in a new way of acting as far as like waiting until you feel it to act that way. He says, no, you, we need to be acting ourselves into a new way of feeling. So what he would say is flip it around. You come into the room and you have the same exact scenario, but you say, you know what, even though I don't feel it and I really am struggling to believe it right now, I'm going to sing louder than anybody in this room. You act yourself into a new way of feeling. And you start to sing that. So even though I feel like God's abandoned me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give the Bible a chance. See what God wants to say. I'm not even sure He hears me when I pray, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to Him anyway. I'm going to put action to it. Have you ever been, like, coming to a service and... Not really, you're not really feeling it, whatever, but you kind of start to sing along, and next thing you know, uh, you're feeling it. Because you acted yourself into that way of feeling. Instead of going just on your feelings. So we come in, the tuning note is struck, we begin to act ourselves by the action of singing, by the action of opening the Word, by the action of praying together, by the action of being involved in community. God helps us to make those adjustments when we're a little below the tuning note. Or when we're way, way, way off from the tuning note. It's part of what corporate worship does. When we come together, it's not just something we do on Sunday nights because it's Sunday night at 5. These are, these are the, the big, massive things that happen in the room. Look at the last two verses. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The tuning note of truth that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, God looks at your life and says, I want, I want to be the keeper the overseer of this life. I want to be the good shepherd that leads this one down paths of righteousness for my namesake. I want this one to sit at my table with a new name, a new heart that I now call my son, my daughter. He keeps your life Corporate worship has a way of saying, you know what? Quit making excuses for running from the Lord, from denying that He really loves you. Quit coming up with reasons because you're just going to fall short because you're going up, the one, up against the one who is infinitely worthy. 
The Spirit comes in and rings that tuning fork and hits that note. We start making the adjustments. And then when we're done, like I said last week, it's never that, that like we hit the appropriate response for the infinite God of the universe and say, all right, that's pretty, we did pretty awesome, let's go. You know? No, we, we, never, we never hit that mark. And that's why there just, there just never ceases to be a moment in heaven where like, he's not being worshipped right now. They, they'll never hit that mark. But there does come a point when, when the, the tuning note has been rung and the, uh, the time for adjustment has been made and hopefully we as a group are in tune and now it's time to play. But the playing doesn't happen in here. The playing happens out there. And so we're sent out as people who are in tune. And then wherever you go from here, you, you take that perfect, like perfectly in tune with the infinite God of the universe mind and heart. And if you are going home from here, you take it home. If you're going to a study group from here, you take it to the study group. If you go to La Coretta, you take it to La Coretta. It goes with us. And the things that we do in here, some, is, in some ways, what we do in here is very unique. But in most ways, the things that we do here can be done at home. You get into the Word at home, that's a tuning fork. You pray at home, that's a tuning fork. Community group, the tuning note struck. Your friendships should be a tuning note for us. I played in a lot of groups in my many years. And some of them were uh, really, really good. I mean, like, I remember several times in college just sitting around and, like, looking around and being like, why in the world am I in this room with these people? Like, they're so unbelievably good. I just can't even fathom what I'm doing here. And we would play concerts and I would listen to the recordings afterwards and just be amazed that I got to be a part of a group that was that good and that in tune and that whatever. Now I've also played with groups that were absolutely terrible. I mean embarrassingly bad. So bad. And there were a lot, of, a lot of differences, a lot of things that made those two extremes different. And some of it was age and experience and this, this and this and this, but there's something, something about the people in the bad groups and the people in the good groups. The people in the good groups, they, they really, they wanted to play in tune. But they, they wanted that. When that tuning note happened, most of them were already in tune because they had gone to their own tuner and checked it already. Because playing in tune is a big deal. And the groups that were bad, you could give them a tuning note. There are people in some of those groups, they did not care. You couldn't make them care. And I was a band director for a little while, and so I'd like take the tuner and I'd go person by person, you know. And I'd even tell them what to do. You'd like, you'd like play the instrument or whatever, and there's like adjustments that you can make, and I'd be like, push that slide in a little bit. And you're like, 
I pull it out a little more, <laughs> a little more, keep trying to make these adjustments, and I just, they wouldn't care. And I think that the church is like that sometimes too. Because the Spirit can come in and ring that note. I think sometimes some of us just really don't give a rip. Or unwilling to make the adjustments. Even though he's telling us what adjustments need to be made. Some of us just don't care. And if that if that's you, I'm not here to like beat you up or whatever. I just I think you just need to admit, like I'm just I don't really care about being in tune with the Holy Spirit. But if you want to be in tune, see that's the that's this is this is the kicker. If you want that. Jesus is making us into the kind of people who naturally are in tune with the Spirit. See, I, was a, I played the French horn, right? Pretty cool, I know. And uh, so I had this, this horn, and like it was mine. And that sucker was like, it was in tune. Like I, it was. Like I... Sat down with the tuner, went through, tuned all the notes, had all the slides in the right place. I knew it was in tune. I would still check it, but I never, I never had to make adjustments to it because it was just, it was just there. Well, Jesus is making us into people like that. Not that we never have to make adjustments, but if you're constantly letting the Holy Spirit ring the tuning note in your life through the Word, through prayer, through community, through corporate gatherings, then you're constantly there. You're just like you. You just you just pretty much stay there very steadily, and that's where He's taken us. So if you're the person who doesn't care but you want to care, He'll He's that's what discipleship is. He's making us into the kind of people who, in a very natural way, just walk right in, spit, in step with Him, and that's that shalom. That peace God brings to us. So when we gather, these are some of the things that the Spirit does among us, which is why we can't just come in here, go through the motions, and go back out. It's too big. It's way too big. So I know in some senses, the, the uh, push... For application, it really has some, some to do with next week, but it really has to do a lot with tomorrow as well. The Spirit is, He lives in us, always ready to strike that note. And so we just respond to the goodness of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your patience with us. Patience that also is infinite. And uh, really just quite stunning. We thank you, God, that you are willing to come in and, uh, and, and strike that note for us. Whether it's when we are alone or whether we are together. We're so grateful, God, for the, for the corporate tuning that happens and the way that you use the word and the songs and prayer in our community together to let us know and remind us of what is true and noble and honorable and worthy. We thank you, God, that you, um, that you remind us that our help does not come from the created, 
but from the Creator. And that You never go to sleep on us. That You're always watching over us. And as we go through various circumstances and different emotional things and physical things, spiritual things, that You're keeping real harm from us because we are secure in You. We thank You, God, that that you, you gather us together out of a world that is just riddled with insecurity. And you help us realize why, why we can live in just complete security in who you are. And you send us back into the world to show them the goodness of the infinitely worthy one. So help us, God, as we now stand and sing for us to not not get hung up on what we're going through and find all these reasons to, to hide from You, but to listen to that tuning note and to make those adjustments and to act ourselves into a new way of feeling because those actions are just a response to Your infinite worth that we have tasted and seen. And so as we sing, Lord, would you continue to do incredible things among us these last two songs?